welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes, and I'm joined by Adam, my older brother, over Skype. Bonjour! Sorry, Zoom, not Skype. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no. Skype is dead to us. We are in, we're in the 2020s now. Yeah, yeah. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome. Yeah, we're in Euro trash land. We're doing, we're doing the, the con, the Cannes Film Festival, the, the con, the can, the coon, the can film, the can, we're at the can film festival. Was that, a car, film. was that a Cartman impersonation that you just did? The the can. Can. Yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, we're, that's, um, we're at the, we're at the, we're at the con. There's so many different ways of saying it. It's can, the can film festival. Je suis, je suis dans le festival de Cannes. Yeah, they say Cannes in France, don't they? Yeah, they say can. Yeah, they don't say cans. No, unless they're describing the number fifteen. I mean, so anyway, um, yeah, it's happening right now. So we're taking the opportunity to talk about the films that have won the Palm Door, um, and um, the best film at the Cannes Film Festival. Right. Yes, I think I think people. Well, do people know that? I mean, I don't know. I, I actually, what's the one? Because there's also like a a different prize, right? Well. Yeah, let me there's, just get. There's well, like let, a grand selection or something. Some uh, let, let me, let me, okay, let me, okay, let me just. I'll just. I'll get it up on my computer so I can actually see what. So to see what uh, the nominations are and things like that because. Um, because there also there's also the, 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 what's the there's the Golden Lion that's in Venice and then there's the Golden Bear that's Berlin. That's Berlin, yeah. Yeah, that's easy to remember because Bear Berlin, um, and then the Lion in Venice, um, which is not a Visconti movie, um, and. Um, <laughs> De Leon, uh, and then yeah. So what? Um, so so, so well, okay. So there's the palm. Okay, so did you, they get anything else? Okay, you got okay. The... So you have the main competition. So that's the, all the films that are competing for Palm Door, the, the Palm yeah. Door, the best film. And then you have on certain. The worst film is called the Palm Dol. <laughs> <laughs> on certain regard, what? On certain regard. On certain regard, what for for everyone else? Yeah, so film, film, films that that are in the on certain regard section of the. Of so the, is that of like, the that's like the Europa League, where the Palm d'Or is the Champions League. It's parallel to the competition for the Palm d'Or, so it's like the sort of like runner-up or whatever. I have no idea what it is. It is the Europa League of the of the of the of the, of the Cannes Film Festival. Okay, so so, the, so yeah, there's yeah. like so a film cannot win both. No. Well, you can but get better. So you can get, get a gold. Hang on a minute. So you get a golden palm, or you're just in a certain regard. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Who well, knows what that means? What, what kind of <laughs> could you mean? Like a certain. Like, <laughs> but yeah, but then there's other. But then there's also films that are filmed out of competition. So Top Gun Maverick, which is finally being released, thank Christ. Why um, would you say thank? Christ? It's just fucking American military propaganda. No one needs that. No one needs <gasps> that in 2022. How dare you? <laughs> How dare I? Top Gun is the most I've been, overrated I've been, nonsense. <laughs> it, I've been waiting for this movie for three goddamn years, and it's coming out in two days okay, here, and I'm okay, very excited okay. for it. I did uh, see the mystery. Look, why are we? Is why is he in Cannes? Con? Oh, because they were showing the film out of competition. What does that mean? Well, films that aren't competing and but they're still being premiered, so they have the premiere, but they're not in sort of the competition, like the new Elvis film directed by Baz Luhrmann and the new George so Miller film. Shit films that aren't going to win anything. But they do want the prestige and and the attention. Get to premiere at Cannes. Why do they let that happen? I don't know. I'm not running the festival. <laughs> no, I, because I thought the Cannes Film Festival was this like highly exclusive Ponzi Euro. You know, like sort of we only let the most 
uh, you know, high-minded black and white kind of concept films in, and everyone is scrutinized, um, you know, and and the and you know, I, I, it, it feels like the Cannes Film Festival has a certain atmosphere, right? It does so have a very certain feels atmosphere. Like Top Gun, feels like Top Gun is the last film that you would associate well, with the Cannes Film Festival. Well, in 2018, Solo, a Star Wars story, did premiere at Cannes as well, out of competition. They need to fix this. They, I've got nothing against Solo, a Star Wars story, and I think a lot of the reaction to it is a little bit over the top, but um, that, 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 there's got no business in Cannes. That, those films, that film and Top Gun, those should be premiere. Top Gun should premiere at, like, fucking you know, some naval base somewhere, like, you know, Pearl Harbor, you know, and, and then, and, um, and, and Solo, you know, just Los Angeles, what the fuck? Like, why are you going to the South of France to do these films? This is where, this is where these, like, you know, this is where the, the, the serious directors bring their films, but also seriously weird shit happens. Like, um, like that Robert Mitchum photo shoot with the topless model or, um, or, um, you know, some of these, there's, there's been scandals down the year, right? Wasn't there one time where, there was a porn film that was being filmed during the Cannes Film Festival, and they kept like showing up at the events or something. I, I don't up? know. I don't know I anything want to about that. Porn film, Cannes <laughs> Film Festival. Like, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't want no. your wife to look that up. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> questioning, um, questioning your internet history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know. I know. I know how to uh, prevent that from happening. But anyway, look. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. Any, I don't know anything about that, but there, there was a. I did see online someone. There was a protester who protested against the uh, what what's going on in Ukraine, the Ukraine war. She had put uh, body paint on herself, and she had painted it with the with the Ukrainian flag. And the, the what she'd written on herself was "Stop raping us." Wow! During during a sort of this is red, the thing. Red, during a red carpet red event carpet. Stuff. yeah it's, like, it's that blend of like protest but it's also an art statement like it involves like paint nudity and protest it feels very on brand that sort yeah. of thing there um, was also another protest it was like a i can't remember what i didn't really read into much into it. i think it was like a another feminist post protest where they had oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. on the on the red carpet with the black smoke that was black cool. with the black yeah. smoke and the names yeah. and stuff like that but again very very much in that sort of like it's 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 not it's not exactly occupy wall street it's 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 more like that it's 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 showbiz protesting i mean and and fair play to them i'm not saying they shouldn't protest and they shouldn't use this the, the attention the eyes of the world being on this event but it just it's happening in a certain style there's also been other there's also been other scandals. Lars von Trier, remember him? He he got cancelled earlier because of his crap around the Cannes Film Festival because he talked about Nazis. Yeah, he was at it was he was at some sort of press screening for Melancholia, which is Why actually quite about Nazis at a press screening well, he, for Melancholia. Kind of, it just, What's he doing? I don't know. He was kind of comparing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he was like like as a Nazi model. I don't know. If he was, I don't know if he was threatening castration or anything like that. But or yeah. you know, bring, bring him up. <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, um, lost my train of thought for a second. Well, he said. Uh, did he say something like the Nazis had cool uniforms or something? Which is a very okay, interesting. Okay, and, let me. Okay, let me. Okay, 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 yeah. okay. You Google last one for Nazis. Nazi, I'll Google Nazi, 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 film festival porn movie. Nazi thing <laughs> okay um i oh he said i understand hitler that's what he said jesus christ <laughs> no wonder he's been cancelled well he did come back in 2018 with the uh, the house that jack built his serial killer movie with uh, matt dillon 
So, but he doesn't do, but he doesn't, he, 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 he takes a vow of silence during like press screenings and things like, like press tours and things like that. If you understand what I mean. I do. Yeah. A vow of silence is probably, um, yeah, I don't so know. I think, um, I think he, I think the actors speak for the film and, uh, I think the films sort of speak for themselves without him sort of having to explain it, I guess. But yeah, he's a very, um, He's a very interesting person. I don't know if I really enjoy, I like his films, but I think he's still, I think the the emotions and feelings that he evokes from his films is something that you can't really ignore. But he is, yeah. a, Cannes, he is a Cannes Film Festival darling. He did have the idiots. Well, not make, anymore, he fucking isn't. Oh, not at the moment, but well, he's not made another movie that the Cannes Film Festival will be like, oh, bring it with us. We'll have people walking out. Yes, that's great. Well, David yeah. Cronenberg, his new film, Crimes of the Future, apparently he said like, people are going to walk out of this movie for sure. Which is, I see. You shouldn't say that ahead of time. You shouldn't make a film deliberately to, for people to walk out well, of. Because I, I feel, feel, wait, wait, hang on a minute. We're getting a little off track here. So, here are the things about Cannes, and and I just I just turned on in private browsing and googled um, Cannes Film Festival porn film. I I got uh, no no useful results, <laughs> uh, and I also um, I probably like have destroyed my algorithm, but. Um, I um yeah I got nothing. I I seem to remember once reading in a tabloid that there was some thing happening or like some sort of shenanigans. In any case, excuse me if that's wrong and I just had some kind of fever dream. Anyway, um there is like controversy at Cannes. Controversy happens at Cannes. There was the Robert Mitchum is was doing a photo shoot. They said, "Here, do it with this uh actress." Turns out she was a like a burlesque dancer or a, or a naughty model or something and so during the photo shoot she took her bra off and is standing there with her um with her wads out and Mitchum's like shit I'm being photographed uh with a you know a half naked woman in in the south of France that's not great and there's like all sorts of hilarious photos of him trying to cover her um and then there's the other there's the Lars von Trier and all these other things we've mentioned so that's one part of Cannes right is the controversy then there's the whole reaction to the films I don't know any other film festival or any other film anything where the audience reaction is talked about as much as it is at Cannes, where you have the, the, the length of the standing ovation is time. Some films have people gave it a 20 minute standing ovation. Who the fuck stands up and claps for 20 minutes? If you like it that much, like, I, what, I don't understand that. And then there are the people who walk out, right? Then there's well, the-, the yeah, the pe- people, people did that. I mean, apparently like House That Jack Built, like hundreds of people walked out during the, during the screening of it. Well, but they do that in a way where it's only ever talked about there. Like no one ever talks about people walking out at the, um, you know, at, at some premiere in New York or something, you know? Or Venice. I've never heard anyone walk out of a screening in Venice. Well, no, they sail out in Venice. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. Really funny. Um, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean so- yeah, it's, it's like can film. I mean, it's just because it's such a like, there's so much like going on and the, it's the it's glamour. Cause it's, it's because it's arsy. It's because it's an arsy festival. And that's why people like it so much. Yeah. Not allowed to take selfies on the red carpet. You're not allowed to wear sandals or you have to wear nice. It's it's like, it's like a very presentable yeah, festival. It's arsy. Arsy. Yeah. All right, look. So, so, so that's the Cannes Film Festival. So that's what we're talking about. I've never been. You've never been. I've never been. No, never no. Been. I have been to Cannes, but I've not been to the film festival. I, um, I haven't been to the film festival. I have known. I know of people who have been to the festival who 
been well, we to... all know of people who've been to no, the no, festival. I mean, I know Fucking Alfred Hitchcock's know... been to the Oh, you mean I know people who've personally been to the personally who I've some people who've been to the festival. Um, someone said my friend John gave me a poster from the Cannes Film Festival as a last minute wedding gift. Because oh. he'd just come from there when he came to our, came to my wedding. And he, gave, he was like, you like films, right? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, oh, you'll like this. And gave me a poster from the castle, which I then gave to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, one of my friends who I, went film, who I went to film school with, who went to Cannes Film Festival in 2012, they called it overrated. Arcee. Arcee, yeah. Well, I yeah, don't know. Definitely, I, definitely overrated. I mean... Yeah, imagine how unbearable it would be to try and just have a normal evening in Cannes while this thing is going on. Yeah, I mean, because it's like the whole that whole area where they f- have the the films and everything like that. It's not just at the cinemas; it's like they're selling like films. It's like the like the place where they like find new projects and bid for them and things like that. That happens. And I just then love have- the idea of I love the idea of all these like highly independent like continental movies trying to like you know make a pitch, and then you just hear this like hern, hern, and it's this like truck shaped like an aircraft carrier driving down the corniche with you know Tom Cruise being like I'm coming to you. Top Gun movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Actually, I think there was a tank during that was driving it down the red carpet when the Expendables three was premiering at Cannes. This is such bullshit. They need to cancel this festival right now. <laughs> I'd rather go to like Can some in cancel culture. I'd rather. I'd rather go to somewhere. If I wanted to go to a festival, I think two festivals I wanted to go to. I'd rather. I would like to go to Sundance and uh, Venice Film Festival hmm. and actually Toronto the Toronto Film Festival they actually show some I good stuff what? I'm wondering now if they aren't all arsey I bet Sundance I bet Sundance is pretty arsey I bet Sundance is like Davos for hipsters Davos <laughs> yeah the World Economic Forum what do you what are right. you doing? <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, no, um, yeah, so, can we um, get into our list because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, people have stuff to do. Yeah. Speaking of Tom Cruise, did you watch the new Mission Impossible trailer? I did actually. It looks so good. I think the Bond franchise needs to think very, very seriously about itself because yeah, that looked like a great Bond film in it the did. trailer. Yeah. And they brought back what's his name? They brought back the the Cherny guy, you know, the, the guy who's the arsehole in all the nineties thrillers. Yeah, Kittridge. Um, he's also he plays exactly the same guy in Clear and Present Danger. Yeah, it's the same actor. He's exactly the same character. Just he's just a meddling little bureaucratic fuckwit who's also corrupt. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Henry uh, Zioni, I think is Cherny. the actor. Cherny, Cherny? The actor. Yeah. yeah. He's in um he's he's really good in a horror comedy called uh, Ready or Not, which is a uh, Great film. Hmm, okay. Uh, can I, can I, before, we, before we get to the list, I, I have actually, can I tell a slightly humorous story? Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so part. the other day I was watching uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, directed by Wes Anderson. Yes. And I really enjoyed the movie, and I hadn't seen any of his movies for a really long time. And I sort of just fell down a rabbit hole. So I watched that and then I watched The Darjeeling Limited and then I watched The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou after that. So, but... In, but I kind of I was sort of late in the evening, so I only watched like half of Life Aquatic, and then I watched it the next day. So far, this story is hilarious, Anders. And uh, my girlfriend Felina, who's been, who was revising for her, her exams, she wasn't really paying attention to um, uh, the films, so she would just kind of periodically look up and stuff. And then she got kind of when I started watching Life Aquatic the day afterwards, the second half of the film, she was like, "How long is this film? What do you mean? Well, aren't uh, you have you been watching just one film?" No, I've been watching three films. You've been watching three films? Yeah. 
when did you start watching three films? Because she thought I was watching one film. Because it's so visually consistent. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. She thought I was watching one movie or two films because, like, all the actors are the same in pretty much all of Wes Anderson's movies. So she just kind of assumed that I was just watching one movie. I mean, that is, uh, yeah. That, you know, it actually, it's it's pretty understandable uh, why you would... Uh, You'd, you'd make that mistake. Um, but there you go. That's that's because he's an auteur. Uh, but he, speaking of auteurs and French, let's bring it back to Cannes, shall we? And, uh, <laughs> and actually embark on this list of the top 10 Palme d'Or winners, which is the best picture. Doesn't, don't people get best director and best actor and stuff? Do they do that? Yeah, they do best actor and best director and things like that. Yeah. Okay, 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 great. So it's not just that, that and in a certain regard. Yeah. Christoph Kuku Waltz, he won best actor at Cannes for Inglorious Bastards. This film, this this festival is just like just like our list. This festival is bullshit. Um, it is um, right. Let's do it. Yeah, number ten. So at number ten uh, is the uh, Federico Fellini movie La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. Sorry. Um, yeah, which I have um, which I have not seen, and I would like to. Yeah. So uh, one thing that occurred to me. Um, when I was looking at this list was I have not seen enough films that have won the Palme d'Or. Simple as. Um, no, neither have I. So I was slightly scambling and um, and so I put La Dolce Vita on my list because it's I think it's a terrific film and I also think it's very much in keeping with the whole spirit of um, of Cannes because it's about you know, it's, 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 it can feels like sort of a, you know, a post-war, like new modern hip Europe kind of institution. And, and La Dolce Vita is, is so much in that kind of category. It's Fellini's kind of love letter to celebrity Rome, the Rome of the rich and the famous and the showbiz set, you know, and the jet set. Um, uh, it's also the film that coined the term paparazzi. Um and um, you know, I did not seen, know that. We've seen another couple of uh, those films in, at Cannes. Also, uh, someone uh, makes um, their first appearance on the sort of uh, what a global pop culture scene in this film. Uh, a little someone called Nico, who plays a character called Nico in this film. Um, there she is, just in the middle of the film for no reason, which delighted me when I watched it. Uh, but yeah, it's Marcello Mastroianni and Anita Ekberg. It's got the famous sequence with the, the Trevi Fountain. And, seen that. Uh, I've seen that a bit of that scene. Yeah, I was, everyone's seen that bloody scene. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's iconic. Um, and, um, you know, and I think it's, it's a beautifully done um, film and it's very, very of that kind of Italian 60s. Do they call it the Italian new way? What do they call that era? Italian like, neorealism. Yeah, but isn't that before? Isn't that Rossellini and stuff? Like, this is later. This isn't. Oh, this sorry. Is... No, no. Um... Italian cool films where Marcello <laughs> Mastriani smokes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's basically uh, um, what it is. I don't know. I, 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 well, whatever. It's it basically. I mean, it's not. It's not new wave because it's not. Um, no, it's not. It's not. It's not Italian real, uh, neo realism. I got that wrong. That was. That was. That's like forties and fifties. Yeah, that's like the forties and fifties. But it does kind of in a little bit of the sixties as well. But it goes. It goes away from that. It goes beyond neo realism, and it's all like fantasy and surreal and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Dolce Vita is not surreal. It's just I think it's it's more it's where neorealism is interested in like 
well realism um yeah. this is less of a yeah this this film takes more of a you know uh the approach of the sort of gilded cage of of fame yeah. and fortune and 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 also the people that sort of hangers on in fact this film is a cousin of um uh the sweet smell of success um which is a really good movie by the way oh yeah i mean absolutely so um so i think it should be on there because it kind of i think um I think to me sort of sums up the aesthetic of what we associate with Cannes, although you've been ruining that by telling me that now at the Cannes Film Festival, we can expect tanks on the red carpet, but whatever. Um, I, I, well, I, in my head... Not, not, not back in this day and age. No, no, no definitely not. Um, you know, <laughs> people did not want to see anything. Uh, I don't think anyone wanted to see a tank, especially yeah. no, like no 15 years. Tanks, you know, that close to World War II, no one in Western <laughs> Europe wants to see another fucking tank. Um, but um, yeah, I... Uh, I think it. I think in my mind's eye, in what I imagine of like the can of the sixties, the 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 La Dolce Vita, um, is is like a sort of pretty quintessential uh, entry. So that would be my uh, my reason for putting it in at number ten. What, my friend, is next? Uh, oh, sorry, I was looking at the wrong list. I was about to say Major Dundee. Sorry, <laughs> Major Dundee <laughs> did not win the Palme d'Or. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I don't think Sam Peckinpah got Sam Peckinpah <laughs> has never been to Cannes. I don't think he would ever get. I don't think he would ever get close to like into any of. I don't think he would get off the plane. Uh, so at number nine is the Bob Fosse musical All That Jazz with Roy Scheider. What a film! Yeah, what a, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, it is. Um, I think maybe Scheider's greatest role and. Um, and it's a film that Fosse, you know, in many, in many ways, it's his autobiography, right? It's this film about a highly driven, chain-smoking, drug-taking, um, alcoholic... Um, Adultery. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is based... He did... He was, he was putting on a play... He was putting together a play on Broadway while he was putting together the Lenny Bruce film, Lenny, with Dustin Hoffman. And I think he did have a heart attack while do it in that sort of period right yeah i mean probably not the first person to have a heart attack from working with dustin hoffman but whatever um i um yeah it's, so it's, it has that it has that sense of being very uh true to life but it's also i mean a couple of things to say about it number one the musical sequences are astonishing the choreography i mean the way it calls back to busby berkeley and stuff like that but also the um wet edited is you know in those you know the way the way that it starts out with certain you know it sets out certain parameters like he is he has his morning routine where he takes a bunch of pills and washes his face and listens to Vivaldi then he it's then showtime he, folks <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he uh, and he goes to work and then he's editing and then he's this and then he's that and then they start to sort of chop it all together so you start to get this kind of completely delirious um, effect uh, that's um, that's you know quite upsetting uh, 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 towards the end because you know it is a film about a man dying, um, and um, and but but it's a uh, and and you know his his mind as he is struggling in hospital conjures these dance sequences essentially um, that that form his inner you know his inner monologue. But I think you know as as iconic as those are, I think some of the best sequences in the film are the ones with him and his loved ones where they use dance as a way to communicate with each other. So there's that incredible moment where he dances with his daughter um, in the rehearsal space. And then where his daughter and his lover put on a show for him at home and uh, for his birthday, which is also 
um really wonderful um it's just it's 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 a it's a completely singular film i think i think it, if it's it's in a it's not just a musical is it? it it's in a tradition of of something like the red shoes uh and yeah. i would compare them i mean i think they're both sublime films um where it's like the the musical sequences are obviously there to fulfill some of the function that they would in an order, ordinary musical but the narrative is just so much higher you know it's so yeah. much more um um i don't want to you know i don't want to say meaningful because musicals can be you know full of meaning but do you know what i mean there's something slightly yeah. more dramatic going on in there the framework is wider than you get in a traditional musical yeah it, it's a very quite a hard-hitting movie as well especially when it's sort of fantasy and then it goes back to reality and everything like that it's back kind of like reality. Oh, the yeah for, yeah um um also yeah. uh early role for john lithgow Oh, he's in the movie. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. And it was um, all, and it was also Jessica Lange's second film. Oh yeah, yeah. The film that she was in before that was the uh, King Kong, the Dino De Laurentiis remake. Wow, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty good jump. Anyway, yeah. What's along, it, uh, along along with uh, be, winning the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, it, it did get nine nomination, uh, nine Oscar nominations, uh, winning four. One of them was art direction, costume design, film editing, and best original song score. And it's, yeah, yeah. So music, basically. Anders, yes, we're not talking about the Oscars anymore. Yeah, I know, but I was sort of saying the extra sort of things. That was back in February. If you want to talk, if you want to listen to stories about the Oscars, go listen to our alternative Oscars. We are in Cannes right now. We are talking about films that are either in winning a golden palm or in a certain regard and so for next week top 10 films that are in a certain regard what's at number eight uh so at number eight is barton fink which is actually uh one of my top favorite uh coen brothers films it's a great movie but you it's take fantastic it. it's a fantastic film um one of your top favorite you're the only person i know who says one of my top favorites why can't uh, you just say one of my favorites well, because I feel like I have favorites, but then it's like my top favorites is like the films that really like, oh, these are like... You sound, the you sound like a demented king from the 18th century. <laughs> I have favorites, but then I have my top favorites and the ones I don't kill. <laughs> yeah. Okay, talk about why this is one of your top favorite no, films. It's, I feel like it's a film, it's quite a hard film to describe or like it, it's basically, the best way you could describe it, it's about a guy going to you know los angeles he's a playwright in new york and he goes to los angeles he's played by john totoro and it's one of john totoro's best performances and he goes to this hotel to write a screenplay a b-movie screenplay about a wrestler and basically he gets writer's block and he can't write the screenplay and he's sitting in this room and it's hot there's a mosquito flying around the the wallpaper is like peeling off the ceiling and he befriends this lovable man named uh Charlie Meadows, played by John Goodman, also one of his best performances as well. And, you know, because there's so much, it's like, it's really, it, it's it's so ambiguous as well. Like, would you say it's ambiguous? Mm -hmm. And it's well, like... Yeah, I mean, I think, so like basic, like, as you say, the plot is guy goes to Hollywood. It's also a film that gets progressively weirder. It gets weirder and darker. And it's sort of like, you can't yeah. really put it to, into any genre. Is it a drama? Is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? It could be a little bit inspired by noir. It, it has a, a sense of noir about it. It's also like very surreal in places, and you know, it's this. I would, 
it's there's I this idea say... that the hotel is in he- it's like hell like the like steve yeah. chevy's chet is coming out of the ground and everything like that the sound design in the movie is fantastic and it looks great too it was the first time that they had worked with roger deakins right i mean i think that there's definitely a ways in which this film sort of looks be- looks and feels a little bit like the shining for example that like he goes out to this place and he sort of loses his mind and of course both films about people with writer's block um but the um is it a film that's hard to describe i mean yeah yes and no because on some levels this is also quite an quite a pointed film about hollywood in the 1940s you know because where you've got the cat oh what's the wonderful actor fraser's dad um oh john, Ma- john mahoney John Mahoney, who plays this kind of like William Faulkner character, you know, very, very obviously based on Faulkner. Um, and he's kind of like a cautionary tale. And then you have the studio head, you know, who's this like Michael of, Michael Lerner. Who's, yeah, he's this like complete parody of like what a, uh, you know, of, of like, um, you know, Sam Goldwyn or someone, you know, um, uh, Louis B. Mayer, you know, one of these kind of guys. And, um, and then you've, yeah, you've got this, you know, it's implied Jewish writer from New York, you know, intellectual, who's told like, you know, go out here and you'll discover the big bucks. You know, it, it's it's essentially a, it's a better version of Mank in some ways in that, and a much more surreal version of Mank. Yeah. Um, and um, it's like, uh, it's like Mank, and, Mank by way of repulsion. Well, and, and it's got so much more to say, I think, about Hollywood, uh, even though Mank is nominally a, 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 a retelling of what really, you know, of what happened. It's, it's, it's got, this is a, this film, I, I think, is one of the great films about Hollywood. I mean, I really think this is in there with, you know, um, The Bad and the Beautiful and, and Sunset Boulevard. Um, yeah, I, and, would, I would put it in the same category as Sunset Boulevard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the two would be a wonderful double bill. Um, so, um, and yeah, it is a great Coen Brothers film. It is a top favourite. Um, and it is, um, uh, it's full of, I've only seen it once, and it's full of moments that completely just stick in the mind. Um yeah, really I, I, it's one. It, it's one of those films. It's one of their films I could watch over and over and over again. I just, I feel like it's. It, it's also just. It's one of their films. I just feel like doesn't get talked about enough. And I think it's the performances, it's the atmosphere, the tone of the film. I don't know, like films set in hotels. I just really like those kinds of films. I don't know because I feel like when you're like when you're in a hotel in real life, it's such a like you know this your imagination. You're in a liminal person. space. That's yeah. the thing. Hotel is you're neither you're neither home you're not where you're going you know you're not you're sort of in between right it's also like the people you meet but also like depending on like where you're staying there's like history to the building that you're in and it's like you're you're the sounds of the hotel and people who are there and stuff like that there's a real like there's a real kind of like compelling seediness in the film in some ways We we should do a top 10 hotels yeah we should do that yeah um, in, 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 in films, not <laughs> in, in the world. Yeah. Um, no, but um, Forbes or whoever. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? But I, I, I love this movie a lot. I think it's it's fantastic. Um, if you can what if you can get a hold of it, uh, uh, watch it. It's um, it's amazing. That should be pretty easy to find. Um, yeah, yeah it should definitely, be. definitely underrated. I feel like the Coens, um, their early stuff, like this, Blood Simple and Miller's Crossing three extraordinary films that don't get talked about enough um it's it's weird it's like they went from blood simple which is like this very neo-noir dark movie and then they did raising arizona which is just insanely funny 
Fantastic. And then they did Miller's Crossing, and then they did this, and then they did the Hudsucker Proxy, and then Fargo, and then the Big Lebowski. It's like it's interesting the, the trajectory in their early like the nineties, eighties career. It's interesting. Yeah, it sure is. Um, what uh, what what's at number uh, seven? Numero set. So at number seven is uh, Henri George Clouseau's film The Wages of Fear. I have not seen this movie because my wife won't <laughs> let me watch. Well, she's never in. She's never in the mood uh, to watch this film. Um, and um, yeah, so I haven't seen it, even though it's been up here for. You know, I have it on DVD. I have that beautiful uh, DVD with the booklet and everything from the BFI, and it's like, come on, it's on anyway. the Criterion Channel for those who don't have the Blu-ray as well. Yeah. It's also on there. So it's like, I can watch it anytime I want, but I don't. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to watch it on my own. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, so no, tell me about The Wages of Fear. It's based off the French novel. It's called The Salary of Fear by Georges Arnaud. Um, and um, it brought, it basically uh, gave uh, Clouseau quite a lot of fame because he, he won he won two big awards. He won the Golden Bear at Berlin and he won this, the, the Palme d'Or. Has anyone ever done all three? Has anyone ever got the lion, the bear, and the palm? I don't know. That's like an egot. <laughs> that's like a. That's like know, a... We should find out if someone has done that. Um, so yeah, then he did uh, Lay Diabolique after this. So this movie got him a little bit of a um, uh, bit of success. So the film is set in an isolated town called Las Piedras, set in some, like, basically it's surrounded by a desert and the only, like, form of transportation and getting to and from there is, you know, an airstrip. Um, so it's, so the characters that we sort of, we, we meet is uh, uh, Mario, uh, played by Yves Montand. Montan. Montan. Jesus Christ. Sorry. And uh, Folco... Montan. <laughs> Folco Lully's character, Luigi. Uh, and Peter von, uh, Peter van Eck, Bimba. And uh, Charles Vanell's Joe. And um, it's a, this, the only sort of employment is working for this American corporation that dominates the town called the Southern Oil Company. Mm. Uh, so they have a lot of oil fields. Sounds very nicely sinister there, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of like anti-American sort of aspects to this film. I think when the film came to America, they tried to cut that out of the film. So um, a fire breaks out in the, uh, at one of their oil fields, and the only way to extinguish it is to basically explode it with nitroglycerin. And what happens is, is that... Um, Joe, Mario, and um, Luigi and Bimba, these four guys, they're... they're, they're... <laughs> Ridiculous names. This sounds like characters <laughs> from a fucking video game. Yeah, well, Mario and Luigi, yeah, Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. Uh, yeah. so Bimba they're... totally sounds like... A, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway, carry so on. They're, so they're tasked with, uh, with driving trucks with nitroglycerin across a very dangerous terrain to basically extinguish this fire. And if that this film sounds very similar, it's because this book got adapted by William Friedkin and that movie was Sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's also, it's it sounds like the most diabolical Top Gear challenge that ever got um, dreamt up. Yeah, Sorcerer, Sorcerer I have seen. And Sorcerer, a lot of people give Sorcerer a hard time, but I actually think it's really good. Um, it's a really, but, really good um, film. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like both Wages of Fear and Sorcerer do things a little bit like Wages of Fear is is two and a half hours long, and I think Sorcerer is like clocks in at just two hours. Like the film takes like a good thirty minutes of the runtime before they get on the road. So the movie kind of sets up the characters a little bit 
but you know it's hard to really know who we're supposed to be following i think sorcerer does it a little bit better where you actually you know who you're supposed to who the protagonists are and why they're there but i think once they get on the road and i once the movie like settles with them then you start then there's a little bit more characterization and there's like a bit more sort of character development and relationships and things like that so i feel like both films are very good both incredibly suspenseful films in two very different ways and um yeah i think i mean i don't rate either higher or lower than the other i actually think both of them are pretty much on the same level like both are fantastic movies um i i know i definitely really want to watch this and um um it's 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 so i just love i love this kind of adventure nonsense um and um yeah i mean i loved i loved i loved sorcerer i think though i felt i i definitely felt in certain ways that sorcerer had some areas where it was a little bit kind of flabby and could despite being the shorter film could have maybe been sort of tightened up or there was there are also things about sorcerer that i just love like the soundtrack by uh or the the score by tangerine dream um and obviously our old friend roy scheider but there are certain bits where it starts it gets like slightly edges over into sort of sort of over the top territory but um yeah the wages of fear is one of those ones that's always just appearing on on these um you know prestigious lists yeah. you know sight and sound kind of um thing so yeah. I'm, I'm desperate to desperate to see it yeah it was a big influence on no christopher nolan for dunkirk and really? um, Pauline Kael called it an existential thriller, the most original and shocking French melodrama of the 1950s, when you can be blown up at any moment, at, when you can be blown up at any moment, only a fool believes that character determines fate. If this isn't a parable of man's position in the modern world, it's at least an illustration of it. The violence is used to force a vision of human existence. Mm, Pauline. Um, uh, she knew how to write about movies. Um, well, well, well. Okay, so um, great. Um, let's. I just have to watch that film. There's nothing more to say, and so should you if you haven't seen it out there, listener. Um, and um, what is that number? Sorry, they're gardening. Someone's gardening outside with a very loud thing. So I'm just going to mute while you tell us what the next film is. Yeah. So the next film on the list at number six is the David Lynch movie Wild at Heart, with... which I haven't seen. It's a great film. Two films in a row I haven't seen. I want to see this film so much. It's a great film. So the cast is packed. You've got Laura Dern. You've got Willem Dafoe being absolutely crazy. You've got J.E. Freeman, Diane Ladd, who's Laura Dern's mother, and she was Oscar nominated for this film. She's crazy as hell and wonderful. I Isabel love Diane Ladd. Diane Ladd is good in everything she does. Yeah. Isabella Rossellini, Harry Dean Stanton, Grace Zabriskie, Sherilyn Fenn, David Patrick Kelly, Jack Nance, Pruitt Taylor Vince, and Nicholas motherfucking Cage as Sailor Ripley. That sounds made up, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of like Nicholas Cage's best performances. It's, it's so, so good. What's it about? So it's about Sailor and Lula. They are two lovers and Diane Ladd is Lula's mother and she detests their relationship. And, you know, Sailor has been in and out of prison. And so basically they hit the road and uh, Diane Ladd hires hitmen or and any kind of people to sort of kill Sailor and sort of drive a wedge in their relationship. And um, that's like the kind of like simple way to describe the movie. It is like, strangely enough, one of, david lynch's most accessible films but it still has that kind of weirdness and surreal nature that uh that um 
you know his films kind of embody but like i feel like if you were if this was like if you had like a david lynch starter pack i think i would put blue velvet and wild art in that package and give it to people who weren't familiar with his films and then just to see if you were just handing these out on the street well it's just like (laughs) well if you haven't seen a david lynch film i would say start with these two films because they're quite accessible and they're easy to kind of comprehend and i think once you watch more of them then you and they definitely won't traumatize you in any way (laughs) yeah so i feel like you know start with that or start with the straight story which is like the the calmest movie he's ever done i feel um, like you should have to earn the straight story like you have to you can't just start with that it's like starting with the trouble with harry if you're watching hitchcock movies yeah a little bit i feel like yeah i think you need to sort of work your way towards the straight story but i mean blue velvet or dune i mean dune was the first david lynch movie i ever watched and then i saw maholland drive isn't and blue- that famously crap though is dune it's okay so why would you start with that because it's kind of a fun movie to watch. <laughs> okay. Um, it's got a great soundtrack too. Uh, it's a very wacky, weird movie. Um, yeah, I, th- I think David Lynch is not a huge fan of it, but it's still, I think people have turned around on it a little bit um, and kind of praised it a little. But um, no, it's fantastic, this movie. Um, it's, you know, this was like, this came out in 1990. So this was like back in like Nicolas Cage's like really like crazy period. And he's like back in his really crazy period. Like he's mellowed since (laughs) you see his thing talking about shortbread the other day. The man's a nut. (laughs) Have you seen pig? Pig is great. I've not seen pig. Anders. I nor have I seen the unbearable weight of massive talent or any of these other ridiculous Nicholas Cage vehicles that have been coming out in recent years. No, you what you should watch pig. Pig is, is a great film. I'll think about it. (laughs) It's a really, really good film. It's, it's, it's not the film that you think it is. Okay, I'm not sure what I think it is. <laughs> it's it's about a guy trying to find his truffle pig that's been stolen from him. Okay, but it's I deep. Mean, it's that, very deep. Is, you you may just have sold it to me with the words <laughs> truffle pig there, but I yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so fine. he he basically like uh, uh, Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage. They were in a relationship in this movie. It's very like there's there's a lot of sex. Wait, wait, wait. Are they in a relationship in the film, or they were in a relationship in real life? Both at the time ah. and at at the time and while making the film there's a lot of like sexiness in this movie and um uh, their, their performances are great and willem dafoe is great he's very creepy and they do like some makeup where his like teeth are like almost like falling away like this like and his gums are kind of going over his teeth like i don't know how they did the makeup That's job disgusting <laughs> yeah does he play a hitman yeah, you uh, don't want to spoil it if you're gonna watch oh, okay, it. okay okay Oops, so um there is a scene in the film where he he uses a bathroom and takes a piss and he actually does take a piss and someone had to clean it up because the toilet was broken. You mean someone... Oh, he should have been made to clean that up himself. That <laughs> yeah, is literally taking the piss. Yeah. So, and um, Nicolas Cage, he wears like this snakeskin jacket, which he actually, I think, still owns or he get No, he gave it to Laura Dern when they were done filming. And every time when he, like the first time when you see him wear it, he's like, hey, my snakeskin jacket. Thanks, baby. Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? Well done. Uh, okay, great. So yeah. well there's a great there's a great moment in the movie where he starts okay, singing Elvis somebody. and does like an Elvis impersonation and things like that. That sounds that's like the most David Lynch thing, isn't it? People doing Elvis impersonations at weird moments. Um, now there's an aeroplane flying. Over. I don't <laughs> understand what's going on. Uh, so oh, much yeah. background noise happening here. Okay. Yeah. But you've, so, never, you've uh, never seen any David Lynch, have you? You know what? It's really terrible. I've basically not 
But I'm going, you know what's going to happen? One day is I'm going to open the box. I'm going to start your starter pack and then I'm going to, you know, dive in. Yeah. Uh, feel- it's, it's, it's pathetic. I really should have done. I should, yeah. I should have watched Twin Peaks when I was much younger. I didn't. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. You should, I think one film you would like, uh, Elephant Man. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I want to watch that. I want to watch them all. Um, yeah. Except maybe, I, uh, but yeah, uh, and I do want to watch Dune. I don't know. I've, I'll watch the new one. Um, but this one, this this film sounds a lot of fun. So I would. Yeah. Uh, there's 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 one line in the film which always makes me laugh. It's just the way that Nicolas Cage does the line. It's when like Willem Dafoe and Isabella Rossellini and Isabella Rossellini's character has some like history with Nicolas Cage and it's not really good. And um, they show up and then Nicolas Cage is like, what the hell is she doing here, man? <laughs> it's just the way he like says like, man, at the end, it just makes me laugh. Yeah. Oh, you. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we've reached, uh, we've reached midpoint. So shall we go through uh, the mailbag? Who's got, uh, who's come, who's written in with their suggestions? Uh, yeah. So uh, strangely enough, not a, quite a lot, quite a few people didn't really right in which was kind of annoying we did we did hear from matt um yeah he he said i daniel blake and then it said brackets fuck the tories yeah well i can agree with that i you know i haven't seen i daniel blake um and um but i've heard it's really really good um yeah. what uh, uh, my, my well ken, fuck, ken, ken loach who is ken loach, Jesus he's, Christ, uh, he's he's real like uh you know for the working man he's barton fink of england he's you know he's he's basically you know he makes films of the working class in england and i think he is he is a very you know he's very outspoken yeah. like, against uh the tories and everything like that oh um, definitely well yeah so i I, th- I can agree uh with the we can we can endorse that and also the um uh yeah the sentiment behind it you know ken loach also won the palm door for um the wind that the shakes wind, the barley yeah the wind that shakes the barley which is a, actually a very good film it's a great um, film yeah, and um, uh, you know about the Irish uh, Civil War. Um, so yeah, Ken Loach should be in there. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, I haven't seen I Daniel Blake, um, but I'd love to. So thanks, yeah. Matt. Good suggestion. Yeah, he's one of two people to win the Palm Door. What do you mean? Oh, one no, sorry, sorry, no, no, sorry. Fucking imbecile. <laughs> There's ten films on this list. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. No, so Ken Loach is one of those directors who's won the Palm Door twice. What do you mean he's one of those directors? How many are there? Well, so far he's uh it's him and Michael Haneke. But he is one of the few people that have won the the, the two people have won it twice. This is what boiled your brain and made yeah. you like, okay. <laughs> I still want to find out who's won the palm the 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 bear and the lion. But oh, Billy okay. August, he's won it twice uh from, you know, from uh, all so Wait, the... so, so you just said only two people have won it twice I, I, and now you've going... your story. <laughs> I'm going up the list and seeing a no, few. You haven't even looked at the and the... <laughs> <laughs> who else has written it? Uh, uh just before we get into this, uh, I just want to say sorry matt that we we were a bit mean on your la- on the last episode of your your uh tom ford third man remake i'm not fucking sorry but he's <laughs> redeemed himself with this suggestion um who so else wrote? at the cinema recall podcast at cinema recall he said top five we uh, know it's a he? hello to him uh he Do wrote- we know it's a he uh, I think it might be a he. I'm not too sure. What other cinema? Re- what is cinema recalls pronouns, dude? Don't assume. Uh, if we don't know, we should not. Uh, we should not make this. Sorry, they wrote. He he said. Well, they said my top five. <laughs> 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 
fucking Jesus Christ. They said he said. <laughs> what did uh, this podcast say? What did uh, they, what did they, they wrote, say? They wrote Titan, the film that won the Palm d'Or last year. Oh, I haven't seen it. I, I do want to see it. Um, also, more female directors should win the Palm d'Or. There's only been two. Her, Julie Duca, uh, Ducournau, and um, uh, Power of the Dog director. Name? Uh, big, uh, no. Um, fuck. Jane Campion. Jane Campion. Jane Campion. Thank you. The, the two, those two people have, 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 out of the many female directors in the world, have only won the Palm d'Or. So... More what do you mean they've only won the Palm Door? No, only You're, two. They're the only two women to have won the Palm Door. They've also won other things. Why right. can't you speak properly? <laughs> I don't know. Just... Jane Campion has only won the Palm Door. Good thing to win, though, if you're going to win only one thing. Um, uh, no, but so, more... Are you sure about that? Did you just scroll up the list? <laughs> no, but more... Quentin Tarantino is a woman. <laughs> no, but I'm thinking... I'm just saying more, fil- uh, more female filmmakers should, should, be, should be awarded the Palm Door. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. Well done for being such a great feminist, despite assuming that every <laughs> podcast is made by a man, even though they probably are. Okay. <laughs> again, um, okay, okay. So, Titan, Wild at Heart, Parasite, Dancer in the Dark, which is last so one. Is still, is there still the cinema enthusiast? Yeah, c- cinema Recall, Dancer cinema in the Dark, uh, Dancer in the Dark, and The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is... Uh, God, it's embarrassing how few of these I've seen. I haven't seen Dancer in the Dark. Um, and I haven't seen Titan yet. And he did write back saying Pulp Fiction as well. Yay! <laughs> they said, they said. <laughs> don't know who they are. It's just a podcast. They, they, they wrote back saying Pulp Fiction as well. Just say Cinema Recall. <laughs> There's probably two of them, like us, or more. Probably, I don't know. And it is probably two blokes, but what if it's not? Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, okay. Thank you very much, Cinema Recall. Uh, do check out their yeah, podcast. Cheers, lads. Do check out their podcast at Cinema underscore Recall. Yeah, and can I underscore that you need to work <laughs> on your pronouns? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, he uh, this this next podcast they didn't write. <laughs> you didn't just say it again. <laughs> I just told you to watch your pronouns, and then you start the next sentence with the word he. Okay. You're like, you're like someone who's been given like a hand grenade and told not to throw it into like the crib full of babies, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> pull the pin and put it in your ass. <laughs> you're an absolute numpty. Another podcast writes in, did not specify who. That, okay, what's the podcast name? Uh, complex do- cut. Okay, yeah, okay, complex cut. Okay, so what, what what clue did you discern from that name that shows that this person is a he? Also, what makes you think it's just one person? They might have they might have been, yeah. be an editorial board of people. I think I'm trying, okay. I'm trying, everyone, I'm teaching my brother <laughs> civics on air. Yes, okay, thank you for that. Um no, they they um they didn't write in to they didn't comment on the, my post about <laughs> such an idiot. They didn't they didn't comment on my post that I made on um on our podcast page. I um 
Uh, so, what, so, so hang on. So you're no, telling no, no, me. Let, let me let me explain. So there's a critic at Cannes Film Festival right now. Her name is Amy Smith. You could follow her at Films with Amy. She posted something about Triangle of Sadness, which is from Ruben Oslan, who's the director of Force Majeure and The Square. And The Square hmm. won the Palme d'Or in 2017. And the the Complex Cut podcast, they commented saying. Um, the Square is one of my favorite movies ever. Ruben Osland is a beast, and The Square won the Palme d'Or in 2017. So I just wanted to give them a little shout out because they commented on that little thing. Was that? I mean, are you just stealing other? They're not. They're not actually commenting. No, no, on no, 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 no. They, they, com- they commented on a post that I made to Amy Smith when I said <laughs> when okay, I wrote okay. when I wrote big fans of Force Majeure looking forward to seeing. Okay, this. you don't have to read your own tweets on there. Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> carry on. Who so, else has written in? Uh, no, that was uh, that was them. Yeah, Complex Cuts, uh, Cinema Recall, and uh, Matt, who is a he, who is <laughs> <laughs> definitely a he, right? Yeah. Was that was that it? Was that all we got this week? Yeah, that was all we that was all we got. Yeah. I see. I think a lot of these films. This is like, it is basically like the films that no one goes to see. That right? Is is, is, is there an unspoken truth here? Just that if we were going to do the top ten Top Gun films, we would get a lot more. Well, um, the, well, yeah. I mean, the problem is, is like, it's it's hard for these movies. You know, I mean, especially when they like if if they get like big acclaim it's hard for them to actually get themselves into cinemas or have people go in to see them, you know? Cause like one week they're there and they occupy like maybe like a few screenings, but like the most of them are taken off by big blockbuster movies. I mean, we spoke a little bit about this in the last episode. Yeah, this is this is the problem. But yeah, it's isn't like- Isn't it also the case though that, I mean, just to play devil's advocate to a certain degree, isn't it the case that these films to some degree market themselves as smart films for smart people, like sort of urban elites and stuff. So, you know, like the whole art house thing, like who, I mean, what a what a pretentious name truly art house is when you think about it. Like it's um there is something kind of off-putting about the whole branding around, like, you know, when you see a film trailer and it's like this is a fusil selection de Cannes 2017 or something, and it's like, you know, this is like, you know, stupid people can leave the room. You know, it's like it's uh it it, it is um it's setting it there's an elitism in there you know um so well, yeah there's like a little bit of that but i also feel more. like looking at like the way films are distributed and distributed and marketed distributed. Distribu- yeah distributed and marketed i think that's also a bit of a you know that, plays into, lo- <laughs> <laughs> that plays into a little bit as well i guess yeah should we should we give some little honorable mentions from us like the, the films that we have seen yeah, and, and ones that didn't make the list, I guess. Uh, so one of the f- ones that missed out for me uh, was uh, Taxi Driver, which um, is a good film, but I just didn't think was as, as not as, it didn't, it doesn't do as much for me personally as some of the other films we've picked. Um, another one that... Um, quick, sh- also- quick, quick, quick mention to Jodie Foster. She won an honorary award at the Cannes Film Festival last year, and this year it was Tom Cruise. Okay. Um, so she's in a certain regard. Um, I um, uh, the other one is uh, Visconti's The Leopard. Um, yeah, for me Again, because I, uh, I, I, we we um, did you learn about the uh, the Italian revolt? What was it called? The thing that happened? The resorgimento, not the, revo- the, the the founding of the state of Italy. Yeah, the resorgimento. Yeah, I the resorgimento. Yeah, we oh, you did lo- A level history as well. So we both yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, it was very complicated and i didn't really do so well in learning about that stuff but but one time we did watch like the first like 30 minutes of the leopard right 
Um, well, I'm glad now. Glad the listeners know uh, that. Um, yeah, no, but leopard, I really, but I do, but I do really want to watch the movie because Johnson never showed us the leopard uh, when we were learning yeah. about it. Um, but um, um, yeah, the leopard's a great film. I just think, yeah, as again, I mean, like Taxi Driver, they're both brilliant films. I just couldn't. I, you know, this list is subjective, and I wanted to. You know, I don't know. I make no apologies. I, I wanted to talk about other films, um, but yeah, The Leopard, brilliant. Um, uh, very long, but but really good. Um, what about what are some of yours? Uh, one of the ones that I put on there was a film called Elephant from Gus Van Sant. He won the Palme d'Or in two thousand and three, and also Best Director. Hmm. So yeah, Elephant is a very quite a hard-hitting movie i haven't seen it in a very long time and i've seen it a few times and it still it makes me feel like at the end of it it's a really hard film to watch and it's um it's an independent film so there's no real big stars in the movie and a lot of the actors in the movie are playing themselves fictionalized versions of themselves in the movie like they have like the characters are the first names of the actors names and um, it's set during the day. And is, are we? This is honourable mentions. This no, is not no, 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 but it's a really, really good movie to watch. And um, I mean, also because it is quite topical because it is a film about a mass shooting at a school, and it's based on. Oh, the, oh it's, bloody hell! I've seen clips from that. Yeah, it's based on. Um, it's based on Columbine, and um, yeah, it's a very, very powerful film. Um, first time I watched it was sixteen, and it made a very good impression on me. So if you can watch it, watch it. It's it's one of Gus Van Sant's best films. Tagline, Elephant, a film you'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, the other film is uh, Lindsay Anderson's film, If, which is uh, with Malcolm McDowell. And uh, for someone who grew, who went to boarding school, uh, that was a perfect film for me to watch because it was a film about, uh, you know, you know, revolution at film school and, you know, screw the upper class. At a, and all that at a film school or a boarding no, school? No, sorry, boarding school, boarding school. The, the movie, If, takes place at a boarding school. So for anyone who's been to boarding school, it's kind of a perfect film for, for them, especially if you've been to, like, a real, like, hoity-toity one but um yeah the, it, it, it introduced the world to uh it uh, to malcolm mcdowell it was his first movie yeah okay um, um jane campion's the piano which is a really really beautiful film that everyone should watch yeah i love the power of the dog by the way um yeah and uh shoplifters which uh won the palm door in 2018 which is a uh, incredibly beautiful film um it has a sense of italian neorealism and a little bit of ozu uh make a sort of a blending of japanese film right japanese film yeah okay all right well let's move on with our list what's at number five uh number five is tarantino's second movie pulp fiction yeah i mean should we just move on? <laughs> what is there? Left, what is left to say about Pulp Fiction? I mean, we must have talked about this film a hundred times. Um, uh, here's a quick spot quiz for you. What is your favorite bit of the whole film? Just one. Um, my favorite bit in the whole film can be a scene or a moment. Uh, it's just like I, I think. It's is, like, okay, so I put it a different way. When I say the word Pulp Fiction, what pops into your head? Samuel Jackson. Yeah, that's true. It is. I yeah, mean, I think my weird. favorite scene is the the. Say the, what again? I tell you, I double tell, tell you, motherfucker. Uh, it's it's the, the my favorite scene of the whole movie is the I tried real hard to be the shepherd. Is that right? Uh, so for me, I think I just love Jack. One Rabbit's. of my favorite scenes. One Jack of my Rabbit Slims scenes. for me is like the essence of it. For some reason, I love that. Um, I love that <clears> sequence. <throat> I mean, we talked about it in the dance sequences, didn't we? And we, um, yeah, uh, yeah. 
but I mean, there's so many, there's so many great. Uh, I love bits. the scene when they he arrives at the house at Eric Stoltz character's house with uh, Mia Wallace, Uma Thurman's character, when she's been overdosed. Because I feel oh like God, the, that's brilliant, isn't it? Whole, yeah, it is just a bit of dark humor and stuff. It was like just like the way that they're going back and forth of each other, and Rosanna Arquette is there, and it's just such a great. And then what's her face from the commitments? Um, yeah, she's in that scene as well. Oh God, I can't remember the actress's name, but yeah, um, that that scene where they're about to stab her in the heart with the adrenaline, the way he composes that tableau is just so, um, it's just so wonderful. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great, I mean, the soundtrack, the whole, um, the, you know, the, 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 the robbery at the beginning and, and the, the way the, the jumping around in time, uh, the Bruce Willis, Bit is a bit up and down, but Bruce Willis is very good. Yeah, he's um, very, very good in the movie. Yeah. I'm not sure how the whole, you know, basement rape scene plays nowadays, but like, yeah, it's um, it's a um, um, it is uh, just just so so much fun. Um, it is a lot of fun. I just, yeah, it's it's I the last time I watched it was at a charity event in London. I saw it on the big screen, and it was it was really fun to do that. Yeah. And um, um, I am. Um, I remember walking home afterwards and being like, this, I mean, there's a reason why he got to be so famous. And when you make three films in a row, like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're going to, you can write your own checks from then on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he was just part of that cultural movement in cinema that time, that in that 90s independent American cinema that was just like yeah, really semi-independent because yeah, like, I mean, I mean, semi, I mean, yeah, but you, go, you are funded by Harvey Weinstein after all. Yeah, of course, and a few other people as well. I think Danny DeVito was like an executive producer on the movie as well. But um yeah. but yeah, but it was like that whole like late 80s, early 90s, that whole period. There was like a lot of definitely good- an aesthetic is that sort of smart white college boys make movies with a bunch of references. Um and yeah, that are very, that are sort of a little bit genre hoppy, um, very much, you know, of the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this was like, I don't, I don't know if this was like wrong because it was, it was competing that year when Three Colors Red was at, was competing for um, the Palm Door as well, the Christoph Kozlowski film. And I think when uh, jury president Clint Eastwood read out Pulp Fiction, I think a lot of people were sort of turning their heads thinking, oh, I thought like, Krzysztofski was going to get the film or something like that. Maybe there was a bit of booing. Do you think, do you think, he, do you think he rigged it? I don't know. Like I don't him, think so. I mean, there was a golden palm to no French movie. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think there was. I think that. I mean, the booing is also something at Cannes as well. There's a you know. There's... Yeah, right. It's all the all the audience participation. It's very um. It's very, very weird. I wouldn't want to be at a screening at Cannes if someone just starts booing. I don't. If... Here's what I want to go on record right now and say: I do not necessarily care to go to the Cannes Film Festival. Um. Invite me if you listeners, if you have access to the tickets, invite me to a different one. I will go to Berlin. I'll go to Venice. I'll go. I'll go wherever. But yeah, yeah. can whatever sounds. It sounds like a lot of work. Um, so, uh, but and and Karen, Tarant- Tarantino has some like a lot of can. Didn't he give everyone the finger once, like or something? Uh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. So, anyway, um, uh, number four. Next film on the list is uh, Bong Joon-ho's film, Parasite, which we did an episode two years ago before the whole world locked down. Has this film come up on our top tens before? No. 
I think if we did oh. like a, I think if we did a top ten food scenes, I think it probably would show up. Oh yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Well, we should do top ten food scenes. Um, yeah, Parasite is what I mean. What a what a movie. Um, I mean, it's um, I I think that it's the most exciting film I've seen in the cinema that's come out in my lifetime. You know, like one of those yeah. moments where I went to see it and I was just riveted from the moment it began to the moment it ended and didn't couldn't yeah. stop thinking about it and it was it was so perfectly put together it is full of of meaning in terms of you know all that stuff about class and society and and um but but so just deftly and precisely like a swiss watch just it the way it just hurtles through this incredible um story of these two families and the humor in it this is genuine suspense and some of the poignancy yeah. i mean it is oh, it is just like i, I watched it again recently and it, it, i mean wow it's just yeah. so um it's it really, such a tour de force it is a big tour de force and it really just it's also one of those films like i mentioned with like a few films before like elephant or barton fink it really does stick with you and you really admire the filmmaking and the just the creativity with the film as well not just with the story but just with the way that he composes shots and with the music and editing and everything like that and um yeah. it's a fantastic movie and I, I mean i saw it in a, in a crowded cinema in in copenhagen and you could really feel the atmosphere that everyone was really vibing towards this movie like everyone was laughing at, at, at the right points everyone was like <gasps> at the certain points where it does get like that particularly towards the oh, end yeah. of the film um, yeah. particularly when a rock gets thrown on someone's head which is probably one of the most visceral scenes I've ever seen in a movie um, the only other time I've actually seen that in a film has actually been recently when I went to go see everything everywhere all at once because I feel like everyone it wasn't a crowded cinema screen but everyone in that screen really really liked that film and was really vibing towards it as my number one film number one favorite movie of the year so far oh uh, yeah I saw that at the weekend um, it was very good I um I mean, it's not as good as Parasite, but like no, 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 uh, no, no. But I've, I just different, I was, different category of, of different thing, category of film. But definitely, um, you know, the 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 Parasite as well. It, I think is just one of these. It's utterly beautiful. The way every shot is so fully um, composed and so um, rich in terms of its imagery. Um, there are, you know, and it's not it's not a sort of over the top cinematography, you know, it's not going for, um, you know, like, wow, every, every, every still is a painting, but it's just, it does, it does still have quite a, a, a wonderful aesthetic sensibility that, that just enhances the overall pleasure. And there, there, there are images like, um, you know, where they're the, I always think about the rain scene, you know, where they, where they, um, where they run home uh, in the rain and find their street flooded. Um, um, I mean, that's just, it's full. I mean, it's obviously a terrible scene, but it's full of beauty as well. Be terrible beauty, you know, it's full of this just awful um, images done so so carefully crafted so well. So it's, yeah, I just, again, it's like with Pulp Fiction, I don't really know where to begin or end. And I guess a lot of people listening have seen it. Um, so I'm no, you know, we don't need to take them through the plot. If you, for some reason, have not seen Parasite, then do correct that uh yeah. immediately um, I, because I, it's, as i say it's one of the it's one of the best films of of the of the century yeah <laughs> exactly know, genuinely, <laughs> i don't think you i don't think that's an overstatement uh uh it, it is a it's a film like no other
and it's yeah. it's like a it's 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 a it's it feels almost like a Hitchcock film come to life, and it's that wonderful thing of a film that is completely original that's not um, an American. IP. And yeah, not an IP, as you say, not a franchise that comes out and, and does well. And doesn't yeah. just win the Palm d'Or, but also wins those Oscars too, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was so surprised how much that film just carried on from the Cannes Film Festival winning big. I mean, carried more than I think, sadly, Shoplifters did. I mean, of course, the director of Shoplifters has his fan base and he's, he's also at Cannes again this year as well. Um, and I look forward to seeing his film too. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. And, 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 and like Bong Joon-ho says watch more movies with subtitles because there are some fantastic films out there that you guys aren't watching because you can't get over the fact that you have to read while watching a film. Yeah, it's amazing how many people just don't want to do that. It's, it's, it's and, and not just like, you know, not, I'm not, it, I've heard like p- people who are smarter than me who are fantastically educated claiming that they can't be asked to watch a film with subtitles, which is insane. Um, so yeah, if, if that's you, you're an empty. Um, let's uh, let's continue up the list. So at number three is Francis Ford Coppola's film *The Conversation*, which uh, is a fantastic movie. Yeah, I mean, what, again. Uh, so yeah, *The Conversation*. I had watched it once before I rewatched it about a year ago, and for whatever reason, I had remembered it as being a good film. And Same. then I rewatched it, and I was like, "This film is." incredibly good like i don't know what the hell was i not paying attention properly or maybe i need to, maybe it's a film that actually does need to be rewatched in order for you really to appreciate it but for whatever reason it was the second viewing that made me like really sit up in my chair and go like oh no no this film is this is a really fucking good film and it's the film that coppola just you know casually made between the godfather one and the godfather two <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you he know, had it <laughs> he had a pretty good run of movies. I mean, he had Godfather 1, Godfather 2. I mean, no, Godfather 1, The Conversation, Godfather 2, and then Apocalypse Now, and depending on how you feel about that movie. I mean, that whole trajectory. Oh, I have complicated feels about, feelings about that film. Um, but didn't that also win the Palm d'Or? Um, let me check. In any case, um, The Conversation is... is um, Yes, it did. it did. It did win the Palm d'Or. So he's also no, a director. Not, well, he's not. He's a dishonorable mention for that one. Uh, because he, I he, actually think Apocalypse Now is a film that I don't like to use the word overrated, but it's a film that I think is hard to love if you truly spend some time with it. Anyway, different conversation for a different podcast. So he's another. Um, so he's another director that's won the Palm d'Or twice. Yeah, and <laughs> you're gonna like come up with statistics, like actually come up with them. Don't just like pull crap out of thin air because you looked at a list. I looked at a particular corner of the list. Anyway, um, the conversation is about surveillance. Um, so paranoia. obviously highly, highly topical. Yeah, about paranoia. Um, and it's all, but it, it's so, it's so like textured and moody and detailed. And I love the way that you sort of, get right into the film because of the way it takes you into all his you know it takes you into gene hackman's world into his his body and his mind yeah, in this harry harry cole yeah yeah who's so compelling and um you know the the whole 70s look of it is um it, it's it's wonderful because even now it looks a little kind of futuristic and dystopian even though you know the, the stuff is all out of date but yeah it's uh, and san francisco is a great choice of of 
of uh, location. I think and, San Francisco uh, in general is such a great lo- venue for uh, thrillers. It just, it just, it's, it's such a perfect location for it. Yeah, I think it's something about that. You know, we should do a top ten San Francisco films. Um, but we, um, uh, yeah, there's something about the like up and down of the streets and the the topography and the water and and the architecture. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, also, um, you know, a word for some of the other cast members. You've got you've got John Cazale uh in this film and Har- um, Har- harrison ford as well very being... creepy harrison ford very sinister harrison ford which we never see that much of we've only seen it twice this and what lies beneath oh yeah you just ruined that oh yeah well it came out 22 years ago yeah well uh and um i uh uh, uh yeah I, I just it's uh, i don't I don't quite know what to say, but it's a, it's a, I don't want to give too much away if people haven't seen it because I think yeah you do want to go into it. Might blind. be one of those films you think oh if he made it between the Godfather films it's like oh is it just a, like independent film is it weird is this not for me should I just stick to the Godfather and Apocalypse now no like this is a very this film is it is playing in the same league as the Godfather seriously it is a um, it is an accomplished masterpiece um, and very important because it's made around that time of, of Watergate and everything. It is, it is a, it is a document of American culture of that time, you know? Yeah. Um, it came out a few months before Nixon resigned. Yeah. Right. So, um, and um yeah, so I mean, I mean it, it, but it is a it is a tragic film. I mean, that I think I can say it's that. It's a very tragic film. Yeah, it's without giving anything tragic. away. And I think there are some, there are obviously some brilliant twists and turns, but it's not really a thriller in that sense. It's a, it's partly a character study, but the character is not just Gene Hackman. The character is kind of our society. It's it's a, it's. It, it's a film that it's almost better than it should be. You know, it's it's it, it really is. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the final shot of the movie is just tragic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So at number two is uh, the Roberto Rossellini film, Rome Open City, which was the first of this uh, neorealist trilogy. It started with this, and then it was Paisan, and then Germany Year Zero. Yeah, which um, uh, which is great as well, although weird. Um Germany Year Zero is weird. I haven't um, seen. I haven't seen the other two films yet. I mean, I've only seen out of the Rossellini films I've seen. I've only seen um, this one. Um, I would like to see more because I feel like because I really, really liked uh, this film. Yeah. So I mean, now I love this when we get to this end of the list and we're just like, oh, the films are getting so so good. Um, and Rome Open City is a film made in Rome right at the end of the war, and it is again talk about a document of a place uh, and a time. Um, it is unreal. I mean, there are these films that are made in Europe um, at the end of the Second World War that, uh, and, and we'll talk about one of them actually next as well, which kind of just, I'm so glad that they took the time to make them because they really capture something about the time. And especially these films that are filmed on location, you know, I'm thinking about this film, thinking about Germany Year Zero, but also um, The Third Man. Um, and, um, you know, ah, it, it's just the way they make use of the real locations and a lot of like real people as well you know um real faces real characters um unknown actors to sort of heighten the realism as you say um it's um it's it's really effective um rome open city is you know about the 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 you know people resisting people trying to survive under german occupation 
and um, you know you have uh, the 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 mother, the Animagnani character. You have the priest. Um, you have all these. Um, you have these wonderful children, <laughs> these badass children who go out and blow shit up. And um, and uh, it is, but it is. A, it's just a film full of uh, feeling and um, and kind of desperation, you know. And uh, and and really, it's not a. It doesn't romanticize. Uh, wartime resistance or the experience of occupation at all it no it, it doesn't it's quite it's really quite sort of um gut-wrenching yeah it's very gut-wrenching and um also very like brutal in like yeah. without really really showing so i mean it shows a little bit of violence but enough to kind of make you think about it in your head about what's happening off screen and stuff it's really especially towards the end of the movie as well well, Italy was, I mean, it's everywhere suffered in World War II, but I think the thing about Italy was that Italy was a country that was already divided, you know, between fascists and non-fascists, you know, and, and communists and, you know, uh, and um, and then you had the fact that they had been fighting the Allies, but then they switched, you know, switched sides, mm-hmm. they they surrendered and then, but the when the French, when the sorry, the well, the French, the British, and the Americans came in, didn't necessarily treat the Italians that well because they'd just been fighting them. Then, of course, the Germans came in and they treated the Italians like they'd stabbed them in the back. And there were all these, there were, there were all these things that happened in Rome where, um, you know, the resistance would kill some German soldiers, and the Germans would say, okay, for every German soldier, we're going to kill ten Italians, and they would they massacred people. And 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 you know, there's, there's all these stories, and it's just that memory of that of 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 that is alive when you're watching the film. It's in you know you can feel it in the film that they're responding to that memory. But you know, it's also the fact that like everywhere in Europe, there were people who collaborated. So there's that awareness as well. Um, and this film doesn't shy away from that difficult subject and um mm-hmm. it's just it's just astonishing it almost feels like if it, if it had been made a few years later it would have have it would have, have had to be less hard-hitting than it is uh yeah in, uh, in when it's when it comes out it comes out in 45 didn't it i mean it comes yeah, out it came in, out in 45 in the last year, it was insane um so um yeah rome open city is fucking amazing yeah. so again if you haven't seen it stop listening to this podcast and go watch it um yeah. it's available to buy on dvd and it's you available in the criterion collection and yeah, yeah. The, the, in 2008 the film was included um on the italian ministry of cultural heritage's 100 films to be saved have the film a list of 100 films that have changed the collective memory of the country between 1942 and 78 wow i want to see that list can you send it to me uh it's on wikipedia yeah i'll send it to you uh, later um yeah, a lot of films on that list, like Ocean, the Visconti film, and uh, Shushine, De Sica. Uh, yeah, quite a few De Sica films. Ossessione. Ossessione. Fellini as well, yeah, and all those movies. The Bicycle Thieves is uh, is also on there, which is another great film. Yeah, also film tragic. I have not seen, actually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, but I, 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 um, I love Italian cinema. I love it uh, from this era, especially. Um, so, what's that number one? Uh, number one is Brief Encounter, which is, Brief Encounter. is uh, directed by uh, David Lean. Yep. Um, written by Noel Coward. Um, I mean, what a combination of talent. You've got David Lean directing, Noel Coward, you've got Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard. I just wrote a little poem. Um, you've got your um, um, you've got your supporting cast. What's his name um, from Lavender Hill Mob? Um, 
Ah. The guy, the, sta- the station master dude. You know the one I mean? Uh, Stanley Holloway? Stanley Holloway. Thank you very much. Um, he, I mean, he's wonderful. So it's just, it's just a, a, a film that's just... It's got so much talent behind it already. And yeah, it's also another one of these films that's made right at the end of the war. They were filming uh, when the war ended. Um, <clears throat> Oh, wow. um, and they took a day's break and then they went back to work um, it's a film about you know a woman who meets um, a man who she she's married mm-hmm. she falls in love with this guy and she she's married and had, she's, she's married and has children yeah married, married with children and she meets this guy and she falls head over heels in love with him and it is this film about you know unconsummated Love it. They fall in love with each other, but they can't. Um, they can't break free of what because he's also married. Um, mm-hmm. They can't break free of their um, of their restrictions, and it is so heartbreaking. But it is also a thoroughly romantic film, and and yeah. uh, um, and it's so interesting because they use that English restraint as a crucial kind of plot device to drive the whole story, but it's also an examination of like, how does this culture of politeness and not making a fuss, how does, um, you know, how does that ruin people's emotional landscapes and, and hurt people, you know, as well and, and prevent them from living full existences. Um, and it's just, I just love how com- how much it complicates the picture. Like, I love the fact that her husband is decent, you know, that, that he's not some like monster that she has yeah, to go yeah, yeah. through, that we never, see trevor howard's um partner you know we know we just what we see is just this this story of two people who want nothing else in the world but to be one yeah, another with each and, other but uh, they can't. and then and can't and then and then there's the structure of the film because it ends with their goodbye i mean it, it begins sorry with their goodbye yeah you sort and, of um, you followed and the way it's kind of which i thought was really interesting the way that it does this um you follow characters you're not even the main characters and then you see them sitting on a on a table like sitting with each other and things like that i think todd haynes uh did something quite similar with the film carol the with the uh, kate blanchett and uh, rooney mara in the beginning of that film i think he must have taken some inspiration from that i wouldn't um, be surprised because of the it has that kind of structure where it starts there and then it flashes back and shows how the characters got there and everything like that and i like the way that the, the whole film has this narration from celia johnson's character where she's confessing to her husband but she isn't exactly confessing it's all in her mind of talking to her husband about all this stuff of what she did uh with uh trevor howard's character and it's a really really like kind of yeah it's such a like ugh, you kind of wish you want them to be together if it just that class culture just wasn't in the way because you feel like oh you just well it's not just class is it it's mm-hmm. it's social expect oh it is partly class middle class culture i mean but it's yeah i mean it's that the culture of conventionality you know it's um and and i think there's you know a subtle comment about gender in there as well it's like why is she not um you know why is she put in this position in part because she's expected to fulfill a dull life of being a wife and a mother where she goes shopping she looks after the kids she goes shopping she goes to the movies and then she comes home and she's effective and stoical and loving and all the rest of it but she doesn't there's part of her life missing there's part of she's an intelligent you know full person but she doesn't have her she doesn't have a career she doesn't have you know a full 
body of experience and she brought you know and probably got married young and blah 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 so th- i think that there is a a, a a noel coward and david lean and i'm sure celia johnson saying something in there about about the role of women in in, in that time and but it's also just like you don't want to betray your husband you don't want to like ruin your family and everything like that i guess there's always that kind of fear of it hmm. as well yeah well, there's that- the guilt thing as well. i mean and it's also the thing of i think it's easy to watch it with modern eyes and be like, all right, what's the big deal? You tell your husband you want a divorce, you explain it to the kids, um, he does the same and Trevor, and you live happily ever after. And there's some awkward handovers and family dinners and stuff and weddings. And you know, we all we're used to it. We live in a society where divorce is common and, and so on, and it's fine. And that's good because um it is it it frees uh, women, I think, especially to get out of tricky situations. Um, but this is not the case in this film. And I think it's interesting to put ourselves in the eye of someone watching it back then, or in the mind of someone watching it back then, and um, and imagine what it would have been like for women to watch that film uh, and to um, and to wonder. You know, there's that, the sequence I, I just think is, a, it's just an astonishing moment of imagination is when she's, on the train and she's looking out the window at the darkness and in the window her mind plays these hallucinations of her dancing with trevor howard in these kind of absurd and glamorous situations and it's so fantastic but also so sad and sweet that she's almost like a little girl having these daydreams of her prince charming you know and in a way that you know for so many reasons can't happen um and it's and it's also because of the context of the war, of course, that everyone is living in a, like, you know, we have been during the pandemic, but in obviously a much, much different context in this kind of restricted um, realm of existence. Mm. Um, it is, uh, it's a film I could talk about for hours. Yeah. I love this. R- really want to watch it again. Years. I haven't seen it God in damn years. It. Oh my God. Do yourself yeah. a favor. Do yourself a favor. Watch it soon. Um, it's so, um, it's so perfect. It is probably, the best British movie ever made. I mean, I know Sight and Sound put Third Man at the top, but Third Man, you know, it's got American money in it as well. So is it really a British film? This is like pure... This is. It's also one of the most British films ever made. Um, From Howard in it, so yeah, it's definitely extremely well, you know, British. Also, the whole the whole culture, you know, and Trevor Howard is so gorgeous in the film. I mean, man, poor. Um, and he turns slightly more sort of later on in life but um yeah uh he's devilishly handsome in this film you can see why she falls for him he um reunited with the cinematographer on the this film robert krasko the third man yeah krasko's cinematography also um just apropos of nothing the poster for this film is one of the best movie posters of all time oh yeah 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 i mean i feel i mean that image of them looking at each other when she's on the train and him looking up mm. at her i'm not talking about that poster i'm oh, talking yeah. about the one where it's the train whooshing through the station and you see the billboard and it's got the title of the oh no i haven't seen that one no. the movie on it oh, oh that's, no i've seen yeah. i mean the image of them looking at each other i think that yeah, that, 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 that that image made me want to go see that made me buy the dvd and watch the film just because it yeah. just that it just kind of sold that like you know it sold me on the movie never ever ever in the history excuse me i'm yawning um, uh, of cinema have two people looked at each other with more just desperately sad longing than those two do in this film yeah it's a very and also it's a great meet cute moment when she gets some dirt in her eye and he helps helps you know pull it out that's like that's like a, that's that's the meet cute moment of the movie yeah no the whole um the whole thing's um uh 
the, the, the whole way the story is told and the, the way that the ways the ways that when they start falling in love it is so because you know what it's going to be about because you see you've seen them at the end and um and you also you you know you you know from the title and from the poster and blah 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 from the images but yeah when you, the way that you're a little bit ahead of them and, and you see them falling in love is just so delightful um yeah yeah but that scene when they when he sort of says i love you i love your wide eyes the way you smile your shyness and the way you laugh at my jokes i think that scene is so good just yeah and it's such great acting and it's as all well. quiet no yeah. one yells in this film it's just done I love and there's that <laughs> that's and the, the american the, remake yeah um um the 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 music as well those oh, oh isn't it chopin that plays in I can't remember. I um, don't. Oh, no, Rachmaninoff. No. It's Rachmaninoff. It's there's a Rachmaninoff piece that plays throughout the film. That's just, uh, again, just completely perfect. Um, right. Well, we've probably talked enough uh, for one um, yes. podcast. So uh, those were our top ten palm doors. Um, <laughs> palm doors. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah, if you uh, let's uh, let's round them off again. Oh so, yeah, you, you go through number that, ten, yeah. La Dolce Vita. Number nine, all that La jazz. Vita! Vita, you sorry. are not allowed. You, you're Italian pronunciation. La Dolce Vita. Did I yeah. say it right? I say it right? More or less. Yeah, okay, all that jazz, Barton Fink, The Wages of Fear, Wild at Heart, Pulp Fiction, Parasite, The Conversation, Rome, Open City, Brief Encounter. Yeah. Not a bad selection of films, I will say. I think yeah. if you were choosing to do your own little film festival at home, you could do a lot worse than those yeah. 10 movies. But on the Criterion channel, they do have a section of like Palm Door winning films, and there's a few films on there I haven't seen. And Brief Encounter oh, yeah. and Rome Open City are on there as well. Oh, great. I'll go check it out. All right. Well, um, uh, see you next time. Yeah, see you next or time. Top 10 shenanigans. Top 10 stuff. Yeah. Yeah, top 10. That's our next episode. Top 10 stuff. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're on Twitter at Homes Movies Pods, at Fabricius91. That's me. Uh, at Adam is the Northampton Dane, at Northampton Dane. We're both on Instagram, uh, Anderson F. Holmes and Adam.h.f.homes. You can send us an email at Homes Movies Podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our blog. Uh, yeah. Check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, TuneIn, Deezer. Yeah, check out the Linktree link in, um, on uh, all our stuff and you'll find all our directories or wherever the podcast is. Um, yes, uh, thank you to those who, uh, to, to, those, uh, uh, to those who uh, sent their uh, films into us. Uh, thank you very much for that. Did you uh, check Facebook? I, I didn't post anything on Facebook about it. Well, that's why no one. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, I'll do it next time for the next top ten. I'll yeah, post Facebook. I mean, who uses fucking Facebook? The only people who come on on our Facebook post are members of our own family. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Twitter's probably the place for now. Yeah, it's like it was like maybe we should just walk down the street asking people next time. It's like, what's your favorite Palm Nor winning film? <laughs> would you die for Ireland? Did you see? Have you ever seen that video of the guy asking people on the street, "Would you die for Ireland"? No, I've never watched that. And he's like, would you die for Ireland? They're like, no, nah, not really. He's like, would you die for Ireland? No. And then one guy finally is like, yeah, I would. I would die for Ireland. <laughs> anyway, I haven't seen that's that. what we should do. <laughs> we should go down the street and be like, what are your 10 favourite Palm Door winners? Uh, what? I'll knock, I'll knock door to door and... Uh, palm door to door. <laughs> palm door to door. <laughs> All right, we have to get out of here. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, yeah. Have a good evening, day, where whatever, whatever, whenever you guys are listening to this. Yeah, au revoir. Au revoir.
Bonsoir.